0: Amen. Can we stand for the reading of God's word found in Genesis 42? title of the message today is The Dilemma. So we're going to read God's word together. Here we go. Genesis 42, 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Mm. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Here we go. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. We would say at my home church and the words of the Lord are already blessed. May you be seated. All right, so the story of Joseph is actually one of my favorite Bible stories. And back in the day, I used to do this thing called community theater back in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I actually had the opportunity to play Joseph in Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. You can see it right there. That was about 30 pounds ago, but that's okay. I'm coming back soon, coming back soon. <laughs> Anyways, I, I absolutely love that musical. I got to really become Donnie Osman that I saw all the time <laughs> in Lutheran school. A little bit different, but got to become and sing any dream will do. But I really love that masterpiece by Andrew Lloyd Webber and the music within it. Of course, it takes some liberties. That's Hollywood. But I love the story because it's able to talk to so many people from Mormon, so many backgrounds about who our God is. But now we're really getting to an interesting part of the story. As Pastor Allen so eloquently shared last week, Joseph has now made it through the delay. He's gone from the pit, to Potiphar's house, to the prison, to now to Pharaoh's house, and the pinnacle of success. I love alliteration, all those P words there, right? So Joseph has made it through all those things, and now the story could end there, but it doesn't. And listen, I love being in the theater world because sometimes you'll be around non-believers who have never heard this story, and they would be like, What? Joseph brothers come back? And I'd be like, yes, you have no idea what happens in this story. It would kind of be like a reveal. Like, think about, you know, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader when he finally told him, you know, I am your father. If you haven't seen that, it's like 40 years old. And so, spoiler alert, that's his dad, okay? So it's kind of like that type of story. But now, Joseph has to keep on moving in this story. Listen, Joseph had a son named Manasseh, which means God has made me forget." And now Joseph is faced with a dilemma. How does he respond to his brothers again? His very own flesh and blood that have sold him into slavery. Does he respond in mercy as if nothing happened? Or does he enact vengeance on his brothers who rightfully deserve death? Mm. Last week, Pharaoh said something about Joseph that I don't want us to miss as we read through his word. In Genesis 41 through 37, Pharaoh says, can we find a man like this? in whom is the Spirit of God. Joseph, filled with God's Spirit, interacts with his brothers in truth and in love that brings about a change that can only be achieved by the hand of God. In fact, it was all a part of his perfect design for his people then, and it's all a part of his perfect design for his people now. In Genesis chapter 42 through 45, the need for a process of reconciliation led to a path of restoration that ultimately led to a promise of revitalization. Let's take a look back at God's word. Our first point is a need, a process of reconciliation. Let's go to 42, one through two. It says here, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. After quite some time, Jacob now returns to the scene after he's only seen Joseph for this time. And as you can see, Jacob is still dealing with some bitterness. Literally, he tells his son, Y'all need to get up right now. I'm hungry. Go and get me some food. He's kind of like turned into a grumpy old TV dad. I don't know if you've ever seen Sanford and Sons or like Archie and All in the Family, like those old TV dads that are always angry about something. He's so bitter. And guess what? Not only that, he's still showing favoritism. As we see there, he says, listen, y'all boys need to go and get me some food. But my son Benjamin, (laughs) my prized son, he's got to stay back here because I saw what happened to Joseph. I don't want that to happen again. So Benjamin has to stay, but he all need to go. Think about this from the brother's perspective. They got rid of Joseph, and yet they are still dealing with the pain of the past with their father's favoritism. Sometimes I think, yes, the brothers committed a heinous crime, but did they think about it often? I wonder what ran through their minds Did they have nightmares of selling their brother that haunted them? I love what Dr. Swindle said about this. He said, the sons have become middle-aged men with families of their own. They probably never mentioned that deed of violence to each other. They did their best to banish the thought from their minds. Sometimes in their dream, they may have caught a glimpse of that young face in the agony or heard the beseeching of his anguished soul but they sought to drown such painful memories by deep droughts of the leaped stream of forgiveness. Conscious sleep. Their family is broken. As we're saying in my neighborhood, they are toe up from the flow up. <laughs> they have no food, their relationships are strained, but one thing is certain, these brothers need reconciliation. So now next point, Joseph leads them down a path of restoration. So we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Here we go. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men, really. Your servants have never been spies. Wow. Wow. Joseph finally sees his brothers, he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Immediately, Joseph remembers the dream where they're bowing down at his feet. And the first thing that he hears come out his brother's mouth is we are honest men. I don't know about you. But if that would have been the first thing out my brother's mouth, literally, do you remember back when you fools put me in a pit and sold me into slavery, yet in front of my face you're saying you are an honest man? Huh. What would you do? Your very own blood has sold you into slavery right in front of your face. You not only have the cause, but now you have the power and the authority at that moment to make their lives as miserable as they made yours. But this isn't the same Joseph. This Joseph has been through some things. This Joseph has experienced the pitfalls of defeat and the pinnacles of success in a long, arduous process. And let's not forget what we talked about in the beginning. This Joseph is filled with the Spirit. So Joseph is faced with a dilemma. Does he forgive and forget and let them go on their merry way? Or does he give them exactly what they deserve? Joseph technically does neither. Instead, he brings his brothers along a path of restoration packed with truth and love, highs and lows. So now I'm going to give you some summaries as we go through because we got three more chapters to kind of get through. So we're going to walk through chapter 42 together. All right, church? So here we go. So Joseph calls the brothers spies, right? And they assert, again, remember, we're all honest men. We would never do that. So the brothers recall, listen, we're just some men from Canaan and we got a brother back home and a daddy. Right then, the light bulb goes off in Joseph's head. Oh, they've got a brother back home. So Joseph tests the brothers by telling them to go home and get Benjamin. But listen to this. I love God's word because I've read this story many times, and I often forget this. The first thing Joseph does is throw them in the prison for three days. He throws him into prison for three days, and I think what's so interesting about that is Joseph reacts as soon as the situation happens and throws him into jail, but then later he responds in a different way. Look at what it says in verse 18. Joseph says, I am a God-fearing man. Maybe it took Joseph some time to compose his thoughts to see what God was really doing in this situation. Have you ever been in a situation where you reacted before you responded? Right, I got to keep on going, got to keep on going. We're working, we're working. So Joseph sends his brothers off with grain and Canaan, and Reuben laments because he believes they are being repaid for what they did against Joseph. Joseph weeps, weeps because of what's going on with his brother, and he ties up Simeon and sends the other brothers back to their dad. So now they go back to Jacob in the land of Canaan with their grain, And they basically tell their brother Jacob, guess what, That their father Jacob, we need to go back with Benjamin. But guess what y'all, I know y'all have heard this story before, but lean on into me. As they look at their grains, they realize that the money that they were supposed to give for the grain is still in the bag. Jacob, at this point, is distraught. He doesn't know what to do. He thinks everything crazy is going on. And listen to how serious, how real it gets. Reuben is like, Dad, please let us go back and get, and get our brother. Let's go back and get the grain. And guess what? If I don't come back, you can kill my two sons. That's how serious it got. They were going through the struggle. Have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? Murphy's Law says that everything that will go wrong will go wrong. Everything that can go wrong, will go wrong. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Um, uh, A few years ago, my wife and I, we were serving at this church in Shreveport. We loved that church so much, and we felt that the Lord was calling us to the Metro DC area. So we were getting ready to go out there and to see different houses and see where we would live. So we got ready. It was Symphony and my oldest child, Aria, she wasn't even one year old at the time, and my mama, my grandmother. So we all got together. We drove to Dallas and we took the plane to D.C. The first thing that happens is as I get off the plane in D.C., I realize I did not dress appropriately. It was 40 degrees in May. Listen, y'all, I am born and bred from New Orleans, you heard me. Ain't no way. 40-degree weather in May, it was freezing cold. I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, God, are you sure you're sending me here? Because it's kind of cold. should not be this cold in May. (laughs) So we end up looking for some houses. We go to some townhouses. We didn't really fall in love with the houses, but we just needed a place to stay, right? We're at the townhouse. My grandmother falls down the steps and breaks her wrist. Yes. So now we have to find a hospital to get a a wrist all fixed up. We find a hospital late at night, 11 o'clock at night, finally get her all twisted up with a cast. The next day comes, we realize that we did not get the two homes that we put an offer on in Metro DC. So now my grandmother's wrist is broken. It's freezing cold in May. And now we have to go to the airport to fly back home. And guess what, family? Just like Pastor Allen last week, there was a delay. And not only was there a delay, we could not get on the plane because the plane could not fly back home. So now I'm in the airport with my one-year-old daughter, my wife is getting frustrated, my grandmother with a broken wrist, (laughs) and we have a voucher to go to a hotel. I see in the distance a place that looks like a food court as I'm walking out the airport. And I look... It's 11 o'clock, we need to eat, and I go up to the lady at the front, and I say, are you guys open? And I kid you not, the lady looks me in my eyes and says, no food. (laughs) I turn to my wife, and at this moment, she just definitely does not think we are called to Metro DC. (laughs) Don't have a house, broken wrists, don't know what to do, and it seemed like everything that could go wrong would go wrong that is where the brothers are right now but what they don't realize is that although they may think that they are cursed this moment is crucial to their eventual transformation just like it was for us look at what reuben says in verse 22 we're going to read this together look at it and reuben answered them did i not tell you not to sin against the boy but you did not listen so now there comes a reckoning for his blood the brothers are now starting to feel the weight of what they did to their brother. And now let's not miss this. The first step in the path to restoration is understanding their responsibility for their own guilt. You see, they were guilty. They were wrong for what they did to their brother. And now they understood that between one another. Listen, the reason why these crazy things have happened, maybe we did something wrong to our brother. But the next step could only happen over time. All right, stay with me, stay with me. We're gonna walk through chapter 43. Now listen, I love God's word, remember, because there's always these little nuggets as we read through that we sometimes forget. So as we begin chapter 43, Jacob tells the sons, we're out of grain again. Why don't y'all go and get us some grain? So what's interesting about this moment is that Jacob really did not let his sons go. Remember, Joseph has Simeon in jail. Simeon is just sitting in jail marinating for his brothers to come back and Jacob does not care until they run out of grain. So finally, there has to be a voice of reason, right? Wasn't Reuben, wasn't Simeon, but it was Judah. Judah comes up and he tells his daddy, he says, listen, daddy, we we, we gotta go and get grain for our families. Our families will starve. We have to go back. And guess what? Benjamin has to go with us because if he doesn't come, We already found out what the guy was going to do to us. We said we're honest men. He has to come with us. Look at this next part. Jacob, Jacob finally relents and lets the brothers go. He says, hey, I got some gifts for you. Maybe some figs, some little knickknacks or things like that. Why don't you take that to the man? And then Jacob says something really interesting. He says, maybe he will have mercy on us. Maybe God will have mercy on us in this situation. If you know anything about Jacob, his soul is broken. Jacob is literally considered one of the fathers of the faith. His name got changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. When you read the old Testament with Moses, they say the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet at this moment, this is the first time we see him cry out to God because now at this moment, he is bought to his lowest. Sometimes in life that happens, come to our lowest so that Now we have no choice but to trust in God. So finally, Jacob lets the brothers go back and Jacob lets his brothers go and Joseph is there and he sees the brothers coming down and Joseph is excited because he sees Benjamin. One thing that's interesting in verse 20 through 24, the brothers tell the steward, hey, guess what? Y'all might have made a mistake. Remember, we told you we're honest men, but the money is right here in the bag. So we're just going to give it all to you. So they're showing, you know, over time that maybe they're starting to get this thing. So now Joseph decides to throw a big feast for his brothers and they are drinking and being married. They probably in there like this. Hey, I have no idea how they party back then, but that's what I see in my mind and my imagination. So come with me. They just party in there. Woo, just like that. And what's so crazy to me, is that I wonder what the brothers were thinking. They could not have deserved a party in Egypt. Maybe they thought that they avoided what they deserved one more time, but it was only a test for what was to come next. Remember, this is a path of restoration. All right, y'all, y'all dig in with me. We're almost there. Y'all can go home and watch the saints or whoever. (laughs) Chapter 44, we're almost there, right? So now the brothers have partied all night long, but Joseph devises a scheme. He's gonna take his cup and put it in somebody's bag. So the brothers have just finished partying. They leave the house. They're excited to go back with their grain. Simeon has been released from prison. They're all together. And the steward stops him, wait. I thought y'all said y'all were honest men. Mm-mm-mm. The brothers, A flabbergasted, because they have no idea what's going on. So the brothers have to come back before Joseph. Joseph said, who has my cup? The brothers plead and say, we don't have your cup. We don't have your cup. So they all pour out their sacks. And guess whose sack the cup was in? Benjamin. Murphy's Law, again, everything that could go wrong is going wrong. So now we reach a pivotal point in the story because Joseph says something interesting he says listen not all of y'all are in trouble right this is this is okay we just had a party just the one that stole the cup needs to stay with me and you are free to go these are the same brothers remember Benjamin is beloved just like Joseph because they have the same mother So at this point, they have a a, a dilemma right now because they need to say, which one will we save? And Joseph was testing them to see, had they really grown? Hmm. Judah again steps up and speaks on behalf of his brothers. He explains the importance of bringing their brother Benjamin home. And not only does he plead for Benjamin's life, watch this, Judah offers his own life in exchange for his Judah says, let's read this together, in verse 32 through 34. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, that I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that will find my father. And there it is. The second step in the path of restoration, publicly acknowledging admission of guilt. In the first stage, they only admitted their guilt to one another and now by offering his own life, Judah is demonstrating true repentance of the heart. The same brother from the same mother of Joseph is now valued as if he was one of them. I often wondered, as I read this story, why Joseph from the beginning didn't just say, it's me guys, I'm Joseph. But he didn't do that because then they wouldn't be able to walk that path of restoration. I love what Warren Wiersbe says in his expository outline on the Old Testament. He says, you'll see it on the screen, why was Joseph so hard on his brothers? And why did he wait so long to reveal himself to them? But it's because he wanted to be sure that they have repented of their sins. To excuse people who are not sincerely repentant is to make them a worse sinner. It was all a part of the design. So now we've seen the brothers, they had a need for a process of reconciliation. They've been led down the path of restoration. And now we're going to see the promise of revitalization. Let's go back to God's word to chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you many survivors. So it was not you (laughs) who sent me here, but God. Can I say that again? But God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Here comes the climax of the story. Joseph tells his brothers who he is. They have walked through a path of restoration that showed that they were repentant. And here's the truth of the matter. Joseph did not have to forgive them. True justice would have been putting them in prison for the rest of their lives. He could have saved Benjamin and put them away. Yet he not only showed them mercy, but he promised to take care of them as long as he lived. Let's look at that 10th verse. It says here, Joseph tells him, you can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. Why would Joseph do that? Because he understood God's hand in it all. Verse seven, he knew God had sent him there for a reason and for a purpose. God had a plan for Joseph, and he also had a plan for us, and that is the gospel. The truth of the matter is that a lot of times we want to see ourselves as Joseph in this story, but we are the brothers. You see, we were born in sin, shaping in iniquity, just like David said in Psalm 51. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You were dead in our sin, and we needed a process of Reconciliation. But guess what? God did not leave us dead in our trespasses. He led a path of restoration. Jesus Christ came and lived the life that we could not live, died on Calvary's cross, and rose again with all power in his hand. And now there is a path. When we admit that we are sinners and believe that he is Lord and confess to him that he is Lord of all, then we are saved. And guess what? Listen, I'm going to have church in here, whether we do or not. There's lastly, a promise of revitalization, right? That one day we shall be like him in heaven. and we shall see him as he is just like Judah offered himself up for Benjamin we have the lion of Judah in Jesus Christ who conquered sin death and the grave that we might be free oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting praise be to God for devising the perfect plan for our salvation Amen. But here's the thing. We don't always want to accept God's plan. What if Joseph had done what he wanted? As I said before, he didn't have to offer forgiveness. He deserved his form of vengeance and justice. But he understood the power of forgiveness in God's plan, especially all that he experienced in his life. Joseph was faced with a difficult dilemma, but he still chose forgiveness. It was a process. The Bible details over and over how many times Joseph wept and wept and wept over the situation. And listen, forgiving his brothers did not change what they did, but it led to the healing of a broken family. In a book, Choosing Forgiveness, Nancy DeMoss says, forgiveness is a mighty tool in the hand of an all-powerful God to bring healing all around to every conceivable type of situation and relationship, past or present. When I think about forgiveness, a lot of times I think about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He and his wife, Coretta Scott King, he was influential in the civil rights movement in the 1960s that allowed African Americans to have freedoms in so many different ways in the Jim Crow South. And Dr. Martin Luther King was key on focusing on nonviolence over his readings that he read in the Bible that he wouldn't fight, but he would be pure in the way that he approached things. I read the other day he was arrested over 29 times and assaulted four times. And unfortunately, in 1968, he lost his life. So they asked Coretta Scott King, his wife, how do you cope with forgiveness? 20 years later, she penned this in the Los Angeles Times. Look what she says here. Forgiving, whether on the personal, social, or political level, is one of the most difficult challenges that we face. It is a psychological as well as a spiritual problem. As the great statement Lord Halifax said, the memory and conscience never did, nor never will agree about forgiving injuries. But watch this, yet forgive we must because the only alternative is unending bitterness, hatred, and a consuming cycle of revenge and retaliation that injures the souls of everyone. The healing power of forgiveness breaks the chain of retribution and provides spiritual redress for injury. I love my grandmothers. they already texted me to watch the early service. Uh, Johnny Mae Harris, as well as my my mama, Imelda Keys. I um, wanted to share a story that I asked my family permission to share. By my family, uh, my mimi was born in Mississippi and she found her way to New Orleans, Louisiana, where she met my grandpa Joe. You're gonna see a picture of him on the screen. His name is Joseph Edward Harris <laughs> Jr. Yes, long names running my family, and uh, that's him with my mom and. They, they grew up in New Orleans together. They, had, uh, they got married, and they had my mom as well as my uncle, Joseph Edward Harris III. <laughs> and my grandpa, jaw served as the first ever African-American streetcar operator in New Orleans, which had to be a really big deal in the 60s and 70s, right? Being in uptown New Orleans and operating a streetcar. He served our country's military in the United States Navy, And they were really excited to live the American dream. Only one problem. At the ripe age of 32 years old that I am right now, my grandfather was murdered. It sent shockwaves through my family. To this day, we don't understand why or how or what happened on that day. But what we did know is that my Mimi at this point now was left a widow with two young kids. She had to cope with life and understand in this dilemma, what does she do? So both my grandmothers actually were church piano players, kind of where I learned how to sing and play piano, do things from from them. And what my Mimi wanted to do, she wanted to focus her young kid's eyes on the father. So what she would do is every day, she would get my uncle and my mom and they would line up at the piano. And they would play this song to remind them God. Who made the mountains? Who made the trees? Who made the rivers flow to the sea? And who sends the rain when the earth is dry Somebody bigger Than you and I When I am weary Filled with despair Who gives me courage To go on from there, and who gives me faith that will never die, somebody bigger than you and I. A couple of years ago, we celebrated my grandmother's 80th birthday, and she was surrounded by all of her friends, all of her family, her grandkids, and now her great-grandkids. And if you ask my grandmother, how did she forgive? How did she walk through life after such a tragic situation? She would tell you right now to your eyes, to God be the glory. Amen. Listen, I don't know... Yeah. I don't know what dilemmas you're faced with today, but know that God is in control of it all. Remember what we've been talking about this whole entire series about God's providence. God, our heavenly father, is working in and through all things by his wisdom and power for the good of his people and the glory of his name. Whether it's learning to be forgiven or learning to forgive, know that our God has the whole world in his hands. He has a plan, and his plan is perfect. There's somebody bigger than you and I, and his name is Jesus. God redeems, God restores. Submit to him today. Amen, church. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Oh, Lord God, I've been praying all week, oh God, that you would speak to your dear people. And Lord God, in light of all that's going on this weekend, oh God, Lord, it is so good for us to know that there's somebody bigger than us. Our God is in control, and we can trust in you because you outline the perfect way that we can come to right relationship with you through your son, Jesus, So I pray if there's anyone here, oh God, that doesn't yet know you, that even now that you would touch their hearts, that they will know the goodness of your gospel. And in this life, we will have trials and tribulations, but we can take heed because you have overcome the world. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand as we respond? Amen. For God is our living hope.